I've always tried. And it's not always possible. And that, it sounds really glib to say it, but I've always tried to see actually being in a wheelchair as a bit of an asset because of the experience I've had and the challenges I've had. You come to realise being disabled that actually if you walk into a room in any professional capacity or personal capacity, you immediately back to outdo people's expectations of you. Welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Acts, the podcast that celebrates difference, kindness and the little things we can all do to make our world a better place. Join me, your host, Sonia, co-founder of the Axe Charity, for some open, authentic and fun conversations with lots of interesting, extraordinary, everyday people who are all a little bit different. Prepare to have your curiosity peaked and your heart warmed as we explore the ways we can all make a difference in the world, no matter how small. So get ready to be inspired, uplifted and motivated to be the kindest version of yourself. Let's make the world a kinder place, one conversation at a time. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to Curious Chats and Kind Apps. How are you? In this episode, I speak to Joe, who I've known for years. We met working in prisons together, setting up mentoring and employment support projects. And the friendships continue from there, really. Now, Joe recently spent some time in hospital with sepsis and he nearly died. So we talk about Joe living his best life with this disability and more recently needing support from carers and how that has impacted his life. We chat about the impact of Joe being in a wheelchair and and he's really great at explaining that he tries to see us being in a wheelchair as an asset and how it's fundamental to who he is, but also the challenges that come along with that, like being pushed without being asked. Anyway, I hope you really enjoy this episode. It's funny because obviously Stacey's in the wheelchair as well. Early on in our relationship, we talked about if we weren't both in the wheelchair, would we be together? Fundamentally, I think I would be a different person. Hopefully I would still have some of the good bits that we've got. But I don't think I'd be quite the same. It's funny, isn't it? You're sort of governed by your personal circumstances and whatever barriers that you face or, or assets that you've got. And actually, I've always tried and it's not always possible, and it sounds really glib to say it, but I've always tried to see actually being in a wheelchair as a bit of an asset because of the experience I've had and the challenges I've had. You come to realise being disabled that actually if you walk into a room in any professional capacity or personal capacity, you immediately have to outdo people's expectations of you. But it's just having some kind of presence and, and, and trying to... Without signing to to be the best version of yourself, but hey. That's quite hard though, because I'm not going to lie to some days where I don't. No, it's absolutely hard. Sometimes when you have, to, especially doing the work that you, I do, your job is to sort of be a good communicator and be, you know, be around people and understand people and listen to people and all that kind of stuff. And that's hard. You know, when you're not really feeling it yourself. And certainly, I've had some health challenges over the last year and that's been really tough because actually you know you do become confined by it a little bit in your own head especially and you lose a bit of the motivation I guess to sort of get out there it's so easy I think as a disabled person to find yourself stuck in the house all day not really 
going out, not really seeing people, not connecting to people, not doing anything. And I really understand that now, I think, over the last 18 months, because I think I did get into a bit of a pattern of doing that, but there's something about connecting with people. No. So there's been times where you've not let the fact that you're disabled stop you from doing the things that you want to do. An example of that is going abroad for work. Yeah, yeah. And that was grim at times because you had yeah. to... I remember the, they tried to get you on this... I don't know what it was. Like, they had to. They wanted to strap the you Hannibal in. The Hannibal Lecter chair. The Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> you were just like, I'm not yeah. doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. And you literally... I don't know. You got yourself off the plane on your arms, I think. I can't probably. remember what you yeah, did. Probably. I'm like, I'm not going on that. I can do it. And it's like... I'm not letting this stop me, but equally, I'm not letting you not treat me like a human. And I think that was a really valuable lesson for the people who were trying to not treat you like a human. And it's got a lot better. And to be honest, I've accepted that the Hannibal Lecter chair is part of getting on the plane and, and it makes life easier, actually. Um, I'm not as uh, stubborn, perhaps, as I once was. That goes back to how mum and dad and my brothers brought me up, you know, and I was not to miss out on anything unless I chose not to to the point where you know my brothers were playing football in the backyard it was you get a goal and we'll blast the ball as hard as we can again <laughs> you don't get away with with doing that and that, that sounds like a really a, a silly example but it's true my mum and dad were very very outspoken about me going to mainstream school for example and taking part in mainstream activities as much as I possibly could. And I suppose that was just inbuilt in me from a very young age that actually you might have to do things differently, but you do it anyway. You don't, you don't just, you don't, and I hate to use the phrase, but news being in the wheelchair is an excuse for not doing it. I think the other wonderful example is that you are actually a better dancer than me. <laughs> that isn't hard, but... <laughs> And my dancing days are probably over. <laughs> but we did we did go night clubbing and we did dance dance the night away. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and that, and that was all part of it. And again, it's owing a lot to my parents and my family. To be honest, it is about them not pushing me so much, not pushing me out and going say, right, you've got to go night clubbing, but <laughs> but also just going. Yeah, okay, when you're a teenager, of course you're going to want to go out to the pub yeah. and get drunk and, you know, do all those things and go to university and, oh, by the way, that's 200 miles away so you can't just live at home. You've got to go and live on your own and be independent and all that kind of stuff. And it was never, it was weird. It was never a question at the time for me about moving away 200 miles away. But actually, if you think about it, now that we're older and we've got kids in our lives and all that kind of stuff, if some, one of the kids said to me now, right, I'm going to university and I'm going to go 250 miles away, so I can't come home at weekends, you can't just pop over and see if I'm all right, I would be going, no, no, you know, <laughs> what, why would you want to do that? Why don't you just go up the road for an hour away? And do you think, I'd say one of your superpowers is that you're really good at being vulnerable. Mm, yeah. And do you think that is because you've kind of had to be? Yes. Absolutely. I, I've got better at it for, over the years as well. You know, I think when you're younger, you're very proud and you're very fiercely independent. Wouldn't want anyone to do anything for me. 
And actually, as I've got older, that's mellowed, and I've gone, you know what, that's easier. It makes life easier. Mm-hmm. If you're just a bit like, don't expect it, but you you know, you, you're happy for people to help. I can go into Liverpool now, and I guarantee if I'm trying to get a chair out or I'm trying to get out of the car, at least three people will stop and say, you're right, can I help you? And I can also almost guarantee that if I ask somebody to help, unless they physically can like, do it themselves, they will. Yeah. And that's that's a great knowledge to have about your fellow community members and people with that, you know, the fact that you know that actually the majority of people, doesn't matter who they are either, to be honest, it could be like little kids who people write off and, you know, and that's what working in prisons taught me. Mm-hmm. I felt really safe working in prison. Didn't matter whether I was with category A prisoners or young kids or whatever. It was fine. There was a sort of, I'll look after you. Yeah. It's almost like, so that is extreme kindness, isn't it? It's just constant kindness that you're, that you see. You see kindness every day. Because, well, well, there's two things there. First of all, there's an opportunity, quite an obvious opportunity for people to help. But then you're also willing to accept the help. And I think that's the hard thing, isn't it? A lot of people, you wouldn't even ask because... I think I've never been that person, that sale person, who, make, who wants to make people to feel uncomfortable yeah. with them offering to help. And I've never got that. Okay, I've had times when I've been patronised and that isn't nice. Being patted on the head or people just assuming that you're lost because you're looking for somebody or you're waiting outside a shop for more than 10 minutes because somebody's late to meet you. That's not kindness. But you have to you have to take that, I suppose, alongside the genuineness of people and the kindness of people. What, what can people do? And I know this is hard to answer because you are you, but it's kind of like, I want to be kind to people, but I don't want to be patronising. Mm-hmm. So how, how do you make sure you get that right? goes back to doing with and doing for, doesn't it? Right. And doing to. You know, if you're doing it with somebody's blessing or for somebody, that's kind of okay. But if you just do something, so if somebody just sees me and goes, right, you need help to do this, or I'll start pushing you straight away, which, you know, happens quite a lot. Yeah, yeah it has done. If you're going up a hill and you're struggling... You know, and some quite often people will just grab the back of you and say, "Come on, let me give you a hand." But most of the time, it's well-meaning, but and that's I suppose where I'm coming from. In my younger days, I would have gone, "No, get off! I don't want to be pushed." And I still have that tendency to want to say that. Yeah. But also, part of me is to learn actually, this is going to be fine. Yeah. Just yeah. Take the rest. Take the rest. <laughs> Do you know what I? Uh, I got a flat tire. I was out on a little bike ride. I've got a flat tyre. I was ever so proud. I changed my own flat tyre. Wow. I know. And then as I went to pedal off, it popped again. Wow. So I've clearly not done a good I job. So that I, I did have another spare into, but then some cyclists came past and the fiercely independent woman in me was like, I can do this. But then the knackered, really cold human was like, oh, I'd love some help. <laughs> it's like this and it is that, went out it the is window. That. Absolutely. And perhaps we, did, we all <laughs> do that more when, as we get older. Yeah. So uh, going back to your question, though, I, uh, 
I would always just say, you know, if you see somebody who you think might need a helper, just ask them. Worst, you're, all you're going to get is somebody being a bit arsey and a bit nowadays. Yeah, simple. Just have an open conversation with someone, which is how we can all be kinder. Really. I think you've got to be guided by them. Though. So if they say, no, we don't, then they don't. Joe has been having the wonderful support of carers coming in and supporting his life over the last year or so. So I asked him about his caring experience. I think it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. I honestly do, and I've got a massive respect for all the carers mm. who come in to me. The individuals who are doing it are genuinely good people. They want yeah. to do it. But actually the system that they work in and often, unfortunately, the companies they work for aren't really that great. So, for example, I get two carers a day, four times a day, help me to get up in the morning, help me to get to bed at night. They get paid 25 minutes or half an hour to do that. It doesn't matter whether I'm really poorly and they have to do everything for me or whether I'm on a good day and, and I can do quite a lot for myself and blah, blah, blah. And they get... 30 minutes to do that. So if I fall or whatever and they have to call an ambulance, they have to ring and stay with me until the ambulance comes. They don't get paid for that. If they're off sick, they, they don't get sick pay. They're on the very basic terms and conditions. Pretty, you know, bog standard pay for doing a really tricky job going into people's homes, into their families, and actually being respectful being professional enough to, to be able to do the job, but also being able to understand the family dynamics. It's an incredibly difficult job. I think you have to be very skilled people-wise and very person-centered. And I think the system, unfortunately, doesn't always allow people to be that way and because they're always thinking, I'm going to get to me on the job, I'm going to be behind all those kind of things. And actually, people that that work with me do it in a very, very good way. For me, the worst bit is the flexibility of the system. So my morning call can start from eight o'clock, but can go through to after 11 o'clock. So if something happens, or the parents start a bit later because they've got their own childcare provision or whatever that might be, or their own personal circumstances because all, you know, got families and got kids or, you know, got care and responsibilities at home. I could be waiting until half nine, ten, which obviously if you're working, isn't great. Equally, if I need a tea time call, so what I often do these days just sort of miss out one in the day or the evening. Um, so if I get, if I stay at home to lunch, and then sort of work late or, you know, come into the office late or or otherwise I would have to leave by about four in order to make sure that I'm home for the carers. And then obviously bedtime starts from 7.30 onwards. So the latest I get, get into bed is about nine o'clock ish, 9.30 maybe on a, really good day but the earliest it can be is about half seven so actually that that sort of family lifetime is really tricky in the evening and that's the bit I, I struggle with the most is 
just trying to fit in life around it, really. You know, you constantly have to think, oh, do I need to be back at this time of day? Or, you know, what am I going to do if I miss it? Or that takes a lot of humility, I think. And is there no option for them to conflict? And, no. And that's just the system? And it's just, just the system. And why would they? You know, they've got hope to go to do. They're on a round almost. So, you know, even if they need me to last, really and truly, that's, a, that's going to be nine o'clock. Yeah. So basically, you, you, you're sat in waiting for the carer mm-hmm. to come and get you up and dress. Mm-hmm. And then you're too poor to work. Mm-hmm. But that could be anywhere. You're getting in at nine, you're getting in at 11. Yeah. Later than being is about 11. But that's when some bouts happen. Yeah. Know. If one of them's gone off sick at the last minute or... And what if you've got a total meeting? I don't have one anymore. If I've got an early one on, if it, and it's online, I'll do it at home. Right, okay. Yeah. But it affects your whole work life, doesn't it? It's like... So I have done Zoom calls now without the camera on. Yeah. Where I've just been getting dressed. Or yeah. I've been getting out of bed or... Yeah. I try not to do that because obviously it's not the most professional way to, to do things. But if I need to, then I can do that. It's just about another way of working. And, and to be fair to the carers, I'm probably, you know, the youngest or one of the youngest of the people that they care for. Yeah. So it's, it, it poses them different challenges as well, you know. So you'll get into work <clears throat> whatever time you do, but then you've got to leave by a certain time so that you can get home to get your next So door. normally my, my daytime routine, I wake about half seven when the kids wake up, whenever. They drive into the room, wake us up. Because I, and this is the big thing, I used to be the first up in our house, so I used to get the kids up and I yeah. used to have a little time to myself, have a coffee and, you know, whatever. And then, you know, the, the house would start around me. That's completely turned on its head now. The house starts around me and I'm in bed. Yeah. And um, it's just a bit weird. So I normally check my emails and start answering emails around half eight. If I'm waiting, and I'm waiting in bed, I'll sort of get the, the iPad and the laptop and start thinking about work earlier. Yeah. But now I don't get into work as such wherever I need to be till about 10. Morning routines are, are not the same yeah. as they used to be. And, and nighttime routines are equally not the same. I'm really lucky that I've got a job where I can be flexible. Yeah. As long as I get the work done, it's not so much of an issue. Yeah. If I had to be in nine to five, it would struggle. Massive one. In some ways, night times are worse. Yeah. Get I get home quarter past half five most days. Then carers will turn up at half five, six-ish. That gives us probably an hour and a half to two hours to do tea and bedtime kids and enough time to, for me to get into bed. Quite often, I have to eat my dinner in bed, which is fine for some people. I personally don't enjoy it particularly. Yeah. So the carer comes in at half five, six. Is that to help with tea and stuff? No, help you get them in the middle and stuff. Right, okay. And then they'll come back again at between seven and nine. Yeah. Right, okay. So what happens if you need the lyric four? <laughs> um, well, that's a good question. 
it's like I can't I can't Google Lou now. No, I couldn't when I first came out of the spot. I was really really important. Yeah. But I can now transfer. So if if I need the loo here and I'm desperate, I'll get it. Right. On there. But you're pretty much try and wait till five o'clock. I'm pretty much trying to Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, you made one for peanut bladder here. <laughs> and so basically, do the kids, do you just have a, have you got a big telly in your bedroom and do the kids yeah. come and sit on the bed with you and you watch telly uh, together? Or? Well, Stacey always comes at the same time, so yeah, we've got a telly in the room now. Kids come in, in and out, and they're normally going to bed about the same time anyway, so yeah. it's not so, so much of an issue. And is it going to improve? So is it temporary or is it... Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's, I would like it to improve. I'd like it that I had a bit more flexibility. And it has. You know, I have got a little bit more flexibility. So Christmas, for example, we decided that we would, for the, for the Christmas day, we would... Stacey would help me get in and, and Simon would help me get into bed. Yeah. And therefore we didn't need to go to bed at 8 o'clock. So, yeah, the odd day... Yeah, especially if I'm having a good day, that's that's, yeah. that's fire. It's really ironic. So the last to our last two wedding anniversaries that I've ended up in hospital. Chasey thinks I don't want to buy a thing that <laughs> I'm swearing that that's not the case. So what happened on the, my last our last anniversary was I got up in the morning, we were planning to only go out for lunch. We're going to take my mum and brother out to say thanks to them because they've been really good to us and especially my brother had been like a rock. Up in the morning, got dressed, all ready to go, said was going to go after the lunchtime call so the parents were going to come in at lunchtime, sort me out, and then I was going to go off for the afternoon and, and possibly met tea time call. When, I, when they arrived, I had a really upset stomach, really upset stomach. And I had blood in my week. Oh. And that was at 12 o'clock. And I was still feeling okay, other than the upset stomach was feeling fine. But obviously I had to cancel the, the lunch. Got back into bed. And by 2 o'clock I was in the hospital on a drip without hydro antibiotics. Having sort of gone into, well, they probably the riders. You know, you shake uncontrollably and right. you're a bit delirious, yeah. So that's how quick it can Take hold of me. On the table at the moment, what would be a dream kind of care support? Like, because I just think the system's so broken, we can't be stuck within these boundaries of what is actually available. So take all of that away. How would you like to be supported? I suppose it's just more individualised, isn't it? So when I first came out of hospital, we had a, a, the local authority rapid response team who were brilliant, I have to say. They came out, they, they came out late at night, they came out free the night sometimes if you rang them up and you needed them, they would just come within the hour. But of course, that was only for a certain period of time, they could only provide care for four weeks until a contract was put in place with a private care agency. So basically, you would like some kind of rapid response so that when you needed somebody, you could ring up. Yeah, yeah. So you don't... don't or, or you could, like a takeaway, you could book an hour yeah. in advance. Like, a, like an hour. Like just, just eat. Yeah. Just eat care. Just care, yeah. Just care. Should we do it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, how you would get it funded, really. 
you know, you'd have to have a, an organisation like Just Eat who would who dealt with all that stuff with the restaurants. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, pay self-employed people to do it. I guess that's what you would have. And it's like they've got to be there within 30 minutes. Yeah. Or, or they give you a time frame. Yeah. So it's like, I want to go to bed at 11 o'clock tonight because I want to watch The Last Happy Valley. These are, these are, <laughs> yeah, these are your options. Yeah. These are your care options. Yeah. Just care. <laughs> I've only just thought about it, but why do you know? I think there's something around what you said earlier around that skill set. I mean, I couldn't do it. I pulled my hands up. I, I couldn't. But clearly there's people who are much better humans than me that can. But it's a case of, like, how do we find them and what would you recommend in terms of... It's a real issue, isn't it? Because if we look at how we value people in our society, how do we value people in our society? We pay them. Yeah. So actually, if you're paying somebody minimum wage to do a job, or just above minimum wage if they're several employed or whatever, 12, 30, an hour, you're probably not going to get the most talented people doing those kind of jobs, I really. Yeah. I've got a couple of carers who are really naturally good at it, and naturally, their mums, yeah. you know, they've got a bit of life experience. I don't think you have to be, I don't think you have to be a mum and you have to have lots of life experience and stuff like that. But you do need to have a level of understanding the truth about what it must be like. And therefore, is it an entry level? So I've also got a couple of carers who probably started, left school and did it. Right. They're good in their own way because they come in and they do it and they're really quick and they are psh, 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 be done okay and don't get me wrong they're caring when they do it yeah but it's very much like this feel of like yeah and, and don't get me wrong there's something about that which I quite like actually whereas the other two are just a bit bit more caring in a, in a sort of maternal way Right. And that's nice. So, so it's a real balance, I think. So I think you have to recognise the type of demography, the type of people that you are going to get who are willing to do that kind of work and try and recruit from those sort of areas. So, you know, return this to the labour market. One of the great things, I suppose, is the flexibility of hours. Yeah. You can work it around caring you care responsibilities at home although i think you you know they they have to work long hours and they do miss out on a lot of the stuff the kids do because because the hourly rate's so bad well no because the because of the timings as well yeah if you think about my 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 care well i want it between eight and ten in the morning so school runs yeah i want it at tea time so actually being a kid that School at tea time is hard, and kids bedtime. Yeah, you have to have that certain flexibility to do it. You, you need to think about what what the motivation is for doing it, and that again, I suppose, is can be a bit contradictory. You're kind of looking for a few unicorns, aren't you? Really? Yeah. So you're looking for those people who've got the values and the person skills to be able to do it. But you also need people who've got the flexibility to sort of go, 
Yeah, I can do it at eight in the morning. I can do it at eight at night. Yeah. And somewhere in between. Well, few and far between, really. With the pain at the getting. Good luck to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's me, me have it because we're trying to, you know, obviously we've got the youth hub mm. trying to support people and young people into work. And, you know, you're always told, aren't you? There's loads of jobs in health and social care, but young people don't do that. Yeah. You know, my carers who are, have done it for a few years and probably did it straight from school. Like I said, they're young people, you know. They don't want to be going out at eight o'clock on a Saturday night to put me to bed any more than I want them to do it. Yeah. It's broken, is what I'm learning. It's really broken. It is. It's not easy. It's not not an easy fix. No. Well, they just care. (laughs) But even that wouldn't be an easy (laughs) fix, would it? Because it isn't just an Ewood driver, is it? It isn't just the... delivery guy you would need to have somebody who well there will be people out there you know the older ones sort of middle age sort of women because there's not much now nowadays there's not much heavy lifting it's it is a physical job i think yeah you need to have physical be able to do physical stuff but it's not not a heavy job anymore because they won't let you do it right so there's a lot of aids and stuff now, so it's not... Well, they, yeah, if, if somebody's too much, then the carers, carers have to go back to the agency and the social workers has to be done, and the thing has to be, you know, but it's not ideal. Yeah. So, you know, at one point they were looking at whether I needed the hunt to get myself in and out of bed when I was reading read it. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't possible. And that's another part of the system that doesn't work, by the way. Oh, really? So you needed a hoist, but you couldn't so get one? So we, Stacey and I, have had two occupational therapy, therapist assessments done on our house. We both go out to living, we both earn a decent wage, I'd say. Well. And we were told that we needed this, 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 and this. And that the total cost of the would be 16 grand or whatever. And then when they found out that we both earned more than twelve grand a year, we had so we had more than twelve thousand pounds coming into the house. We weren't eligible for any support with those costs. Joking. So they would put in stuff, equipment, which was under a thousand pounds. Which is probably the stuff that we could probably afford to do anyway. Yeah. But anything over that, they wouldn't be you have know, to do it yourself. But it's not actually, it's helping the carers, not you as well, isn't it? That doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter. Why? Because we go to work. Now, what is quite strange about that is I don't pay for my carers. Okay. Because I work. <laughs> so there's a loophole, so you have to pay for all the adaptions and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, because I work all the time, it's, that's not chargeable income. I don't understand it, but basically that's what we were told. But actually, if you gave up work, I don't have to pay. You you would you'd be able to get all the adaptions. I'd get all the adaptions, but we wouldn't. We'd have to contribute to the care. But you'd have to contribute to the care. Blimey, it's a messed up system. Yeah, it is. A bit weird. There's no flexibility in there, isn't it? It probably works for the majority of people. It's just that we're a bit weird. Yeah, you are weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. You are. 
help me all. We bought the system. Yeah, but then there's no flexibility to be able to support you. But actually, what you want to, what as a society we want, is for you to be working as long as possible because you're contributing, you're doing a really Paying important job. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not even about the money, it's the fact that Never. what you're adding to the world yeah, is. Yeah, very level, you know, tax and national insurance. Yes. Yeah. We pay. Yeah. Oh, I need a happy note to finish on, Joe. It's <laughs> too depressing how broken the system is. Tell me a happy story. <laughs> so the happy story is actually, without that care, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be going to work. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't have been recovered. I wouldn't have recovered in the same way. Yeah. And actually, mine and Stacey's relationship is stronger because of that. Yeah, because she's not got to support you so much. She, she wouldn't have been able to do it. And, you know, we were a bit at odds because I would like to get rid of them to a certain extent. Yeah. She doesn't. Yeah. She likes the fact that actually we've got people there. Yeah. And then if something does go wrong, the system's in place. Yeah, so exactly. Like mental health almost, and that worry, it takes some of that anxiety away. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think the kids see me still going to work. Yeah. And actually, I think that's really, really important. So what they see is they see people, good people coming in to care for me. And he got really upset when he realised that they weren't doing it for free. Oh, yes. <laughs> they, they were being paid to do it. And I found it quite an odd response. Yeah. Because it was like, I just assumed that they would get it. But yeah. he was like, no, why wouldn't they want to come and see us? Why wouldn't they want to come get you? And of course they did, but actually it's quite a, an important lesson, I think, for him to learn yeah. that actually the world of work can, you can do lots of things, but it's also that this kind of stuff can enable somebody like me to be able to go out and earn a living. Yeah. They will, they bring home money so they can yeah. do nice stuff. Yeah. I like that. That's a good note to MJ. <laughs> I can always try and find a positive. I'm a very optimistic person. I remember talking to you when you were like, having this decision, which is still ongoing, but you were still really positive about it. And it's like, well, if I don't have it, I could potentially die. If I do have it, I could potentially die. There's not many good options there, Joe, but you were still really optimistic about it. That is one of your other superpowers. Yeah, well, you've got to be, haven't you? You've got to hope for the best, haven't you? Yeah. Although Joy would say hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Well, it's true. In this case, the worst is not very nice. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep hoping for yeah. the best. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. It was lovely to have you. Can I just say a massive thank you to all the people that we've interviewed who have been so honest and vulnerable with me so that we can have these real-life stories to share with you, our wonderful listener. And remember, we'd love to hear what random or small acts of kindness you've been up to so that we can maybe do a few. Find us on all the socials, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and all our forward slash AxGB, that's A-C-T-S-G-B. And drop a comment on our feed, tweet us or even send a photo. Let's build our kindness community together. 
We'll read some of our favourites on future episodes of Curious Chats and Kind Acts. And you never know, we might even have a go at a few of your ideas ourselves. Watch this space on the socials. For more information about the Axe charity, including how to donate to us, head to axonline.uk. See you next time.